So when you see what you, you just saw and, and hear what you just heard in that video, what goes through you? What goes through you? What kind of a reaction do you have on the inside? What does that bring about for you? Because when you think about it, and when it comes to other believers, other believers around the world, who has depicted, as we just saw in that video, what they're subject to, what they've experienced as followers of Jesus. I don't know about you, but maybe you're like me, and you go, yeah, you know what, I, I knew about some of that stuff. Some, some of that stuff I assumed. Some of that I think I, I had a sense of. But other things I didn't realize, like Nigeria, of all the persecuted countries in the world, is the most violent. For most of us, and me included, you probably didn't know that there's more than 360 million Christians around the world who are persecuted because of their faith. So when you hear what you did and you saw what you saw, what takes place for you in here? Because I have to admit, there's a big disconnect for me. I can't, I can't relate to what these people are going through. It's not my world. It's, it's not what I've come to know. It's not my experience. And so I, I struggle. I, I find it difficult to relate and even to kind of even imagine what these people are actually subject to. It's not my world, as they say. I'm not, I'm not moved by it like I could be. And that's because oftentimes you and I, we, we relate our own experiences to help us better understand the world around us. Stats are important. Data, is, data has its place. Information is good. But stats don't move me. Stats don't move me on the inside. But talk to somebody who has a loved one in one of those countries, who has an emotional connection to a family member in one of those countries, who has a family member in, in a place like Ukraine with all that's going on there, and we know that some of our people have a family connection there, then it's a different story. It's a different ballgame then. So when Pastor Mike asked me if I would speak on this day of, you know, the day of international prayer for the persecuted church, I immediately said, yeah, sure. My big mouth said, yeah, sure. And then afterwards I thought, oh, what did I just commit to? How am I going to speak from a place that I have no reference point to? And so as, as, it, as important as it is to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, which is really what this day is all about and for which we want to be mindful of because they certainly need our prayers, they are not to be forgotten. And we are, we are going to remember them and we're going to pray. And to a large degree, we already have 
throughout this service already this morning. And I want to encourage you, each of you, that even throughout the rest of your day, maybe around mealtimes or whenever, if you're going for a walk or whatever, would you continue to think about them and pray for them throughout this day? But I'm going to try. I'm going to try this morning. And I'm going to try and also bring it home for us in a way that bears true for us. Us having courage, like those that we saw in the video, like them having courage. Having courage to rise above. Because you and I, we have all been commanded by God. All of us. All of us here this morning, we've all been commanded by God. As was read for us earlier from John, Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Be, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Here, here's a bit of a picture that paints what some of our brothers and sisters are experiencing around the world. And this is from, Carlene alluded to, this is from Open Doors Research, who tracks and reports on these things. Here are some of the things that they're experiencing. Last year, more than 124,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes because of their faith. 15,000 of whom became refugees. Last year, more than 2,100 churches were attacked or closed, and more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith just last year. Of the top 50 countries where Christians, it's the most dangerous and, and difficult place to be in certain countries, as you've heard already, North Korea is number one. Somalia is number two. Yemen is number three. And from the video you heard, Nigeria is, I think, ranked sixth. India is 11th. And Nicaragua is 50th. As mentioned earlier, more than 360 million Christians live in nations with high levels of persecution and discrimination. That's one in seven worldwide. I mean, think about that. One in seven Christians worldwide. That's one in five. One in what? What is it? One in five. One in five believers in Africa. Two in five in Asia. One in 15 in Latin America. It's clear that persecution continues to increase because the number of countries on the world watch list has actually risen from 40 in 1993 to 76 today. So that's more than almost, almost double in the last 30 years. Persecution is increasing. And yet, as alarming as that may be, it may not be all that surprising for us. I mean, Jesus has said, Jesus warned us not to expect to be treated you know, any better than he was treated. He says this in John 15, 20. He says, remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. One of the things I find really interesting from 
Open Doors report is that Franz Biermann, who is the director of research, he says that the biggest threat to Christianity for these countries, the biggest threat to the church, is not actually what's outside. It's from within. It's within the church. In other words, he says, will they actually, with this next generation, will they be prepared for the kind of persecution that we are seeing, that they are seeing? Are they strong in their faith and in knowing Christ and the gospel? Do they, do they have the resilience? Because the biggest threat to the church in these countries that are facing persecution, he says, is a decrease in resilience. That's the biggest threat. It's caused by this ongoing, never-ending persecution that they are subject to and this feeling that they are forgotten by the rest of the body of Christ. Veerman says that what they have found in the last 30 years of research, what they have found is that resilience is found by being grounded and rooted in the word of God and in prayer. And also in being courageous as the persecuted church is often active, involved, in spreading the gospel. Jesus said in what has become known as the great Sermon on the Mount, he said this, he said, blessed are you, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then he goes on and says, for great is your reward in heaven. And then he goes on to describe how the church, not just the persecuted church, but the church at large, people like you and me, how we are to be kingdom bringers, how we are to bring a little bit more of up there, down here, how we are to make an impact. He goes on to say this. He says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus' use of salt and light metaphors are images for impact. Impact impacts something else. Salt, for instance, impacts meat. Light impacts darkness. So they're metaphors urging us to carefully think about how we influence to think about our influence. Because as followers of Jesus, we are to have impact on others. Jesus also actually even uses language here that even is a warning for us followers of Jesus. Saying in, that the consequences of diminishing our impact, because he says what? Saltless salt 
is actually good for nothing. It needs to be thrown out. And covered lights are useless. So we are to have impact. Impact on others that penetrates and that lets our light shine. To mediate God's presence, to mediate God's goodness, to God's grace, God's justice, God's love in this world as us who are representatives of God. I don't know if you recognize this person here on the left, but this is Dion Sanders. I have, um, I've been following his story for the last couple of months because he just seems to be somebody that is garnering a lot of attention in the sports world. He has probably been one of the greatest athletes that have ever walked this planet. He played professional football and professional baseball, and he's now currently a football coach at the collegiate level. And he also is a follower of Jesus. He's very vocal about his faith, not in an obnoxious way, but in a very confident way. And while he has received all kinds of accolades for his recent you know, coaching career, he has also received a fair amount of criticism that has come his way. He has been criticized for leaving what is known as a historic black community and college where he coached for the past three years. He's been criticized for leaving that and coming to Colorado which is predominantly a white community. He's been criticized for talking too much about his faith and giving credit to Jesus. And he once responded to people's opinions of him and he said, he said, you can't break me because you didn't make me. You didn't build me so you can't kill me. I've been established by God. I've been established by him. There's nothing you can do anything to me. You got to kind of picture him saying, because he says it with a little bit of swag, okay? <laughs> but he knows who he is in Jesus and whose he is. He's been asked if he would go on to coach in the professional ranks in the NFL, and he said no. He says, God has me right where he wants me to be at the collegiate level. 97% of college football players, he says, never make it to the pro level. 97%. But he says, I want to help them. I want to help shape them to be successful men in life. Dion is letting his light shine and making an impact on others, being salt and light, making a difference in the lives of those young men. Modeling Jesus, giving credit to Jesus, praying with the team to Jesus. And all the while, he's also been in receipt of much criticism along the way. And people saying some not so nice things. Jesus says in John 15, 18, he says this. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
There, there is a unique hostility that people have to Jesus. A unique hostility. And if you are a Christian, you're going to experience some of it. It will come your way. I mean, it comes with the territory. It just does. I mean, this is what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are you who, or when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. It will be because of him. It won't be because of you. It will be because of him. Most of us here in Canada are not going to experience the kind of persecution like those in Nigeria, India, Nicaragua, North Korea, Yemen, and other places. Most of us are not going to experience that. But perhaps the loss of livelihoods, the loss of jobs, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Because following Jesus with values and, and convictions that come with that worldview, maybe contrary to certain workplaces, certain work environments. Just recently, chaplains within the military have, well, they're offering reflection services or reflection ceremonies and functions with the upcoming Remembrance Day. And they have received a directive not to include prayer within those ceremonies and functions, being told that they are to be religiously neutral, not favoring or hindering any one particular belief, ensuring that all feel respected and included and able to participate with a clear conscience. That's what chaplains are being told. This is, this is the day and age that you and I live in. We live in a world where being a follower of Jesus puts us at risk. And as I mentioned, it's unlikely that you and I are gonna probably, we're probably not gonna lose our jobs. We're probably not gonna have our lives be at risk. But perhaps, the biggest fear within is our being afraid of social isolation, losing comforts, and uncomfortable moments when we are maybe talking to somebody. We need to have courage, live it out, and say to God, you know what, God, I don't, I don't want to... I don't want to choose comfort. I don't want to choose the safety. I don't worry about how people are going to perceive me you know, anymore. A couple of weeks ago, I was at the GLS, the Global Leadership Summit, which is a leadership conference broadcast all over the world. It was broadcast here in Ottawa, and it comes from a church out of Chicago. And I heard the story of a guy in China who was a part of the underground church there. And of course, 
as a church, they would celebrate communion. And this guy was celebrating communion with others, you know, in his home. And they would also have a lookout because they knew that if religious authorities or government authorities actually saw them doing what they were doing, they would come along and, and they would take them and put them in prison. Well, one day they didn't, they didn't disperse fast enough and this guy in his home, he got, he got caught. The rest of them all got away, they all escaped, but he got caught and he was put in prison and they tortured him trying to get the name of the minister because they thought, you know, if we can get the names of all the ministers and get them out of China, we'd be better off. Well, he refused to give them the name of that minister. And so they tortured him. Tortured him badly. Barely survived. But he got out, he got away, he got out of China, and he decided to move to the United States. So he moved to the U.S. and he said, you know, I can now celebrate communion every day without any without nobody ever threatening me. And so he did. And then he started a business. And he said, you know, I can just go on Sundays. Sunday's enough. And his business started to grow and develop. And he said, you know, I don't need to go to church because I could do so much better because his business was growing. And then he said, you know, my time when I was in China, China could not drive Jesus out of my heart with the threat of torture and murder. But the conveniences and the comforts of a culture could drive it away. We live in a Western world where you know, compared to others around the world, it's amazing. They're going, really? You're worried about some, you know, not being invited to somebody's Christmas dinner next month? I'm worried about not being alive for Christmas dinner next month if I speak my faith. We need to have courage. Just like many of them, we need to have courage. And say to God, you know what? I don't want to choose the comfort, the safety, the conveniences anymore. We need to have the courage to rise above, to speak up, to speak our faith, and to share the love of Christ with other people. The International Day of Prayer, who actually came up with this, this title for, for today, based on Joshua 1.9, 1, we need to have that same courage to rise above, just like those others but mainly because Jesus did it first. Think about that. Think about what he went through for you and me in order for us to receive what we have. He was mocked, shamed, spat upon, beaten, persecuted, all of which we were saved through for our freedom, for our rescue, for our transformation. We were saved through the insults that he got along the way and that the torture that he endured. We were, we were saved through that. 
if Jesus were here today and he asked you, so would you sacrifice, you know, would you sacrifice for me? We, we would say, sure, of, of course. But then we go to our jobs and somebody says something and we compromise a little bit here and we, we compromise a little bit there and after a while we say to ourselves, how did I get to this place? Acts chapter 4 and chapter 5 record the account of where Peter and John are being commanded by religious authorities to not speak about Jesus anymore. And Peter and John say, well, we're, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about him. And without going into all kinds of, of details, they were, they were flogged for it. Meaning that they received 39 whips with lead-tip straps. That's what being flogged meant. That's what it means to be flogged. And then the religious authorities, they, they let them go. Do you know what John and Peter did then? It says this in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. They rejoiced. They rejoiced for being considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name Jesus. We are to be salt and light in this world. And part of that involves us to to speak our faith, to speak up about our faith, knowing that we might actually experience some hurt along the way. Because Jesus said, hey, just know, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. But he says, that's okay, because I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. And then he says this. He says this in... If any of you acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. But if you don't, if you don't acknowledge me, if you, if you deny me, if you don't acknowledge me, I won't acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. When you think about those things and everything that we've talked about here this morning, how can we not have courage? Particularly when you also think about, you know, our brothers and sisters around the world in Nigeria, Nicaragua, and India, and all of the other places. Because they have courage. They have great courage. If you and I decide, if all of us decide here this morning, including those online, if all of us decide here that, you know, we're not, we're not going to cower, we're not going to cave, we're actually going to rise up and be strong and, and exhibit courage and say, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. The next moment, the next time that maybe it presents itself to you and me, may we all say, God, just give me, give me the strength. Give me the strength to say what you want me to say or face what you want me to face. Let's pray together. Father, we, we, thank you for, we thank you for the family of God. We thank you for brothers and sisters 
We know that we are in need of one another. <clears throat> and this day, Lord, that you have given us, even the global church, to be mindful of and to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are, are being persecuted because of you. As we've said here this morning, Lord, it's hard for us to even kind of relate. It's hard for us to even grasp the magnitude of what they live with daily. But Lord, would you help us, help us to be mindful of them, not just this day. Bring to mind for us in the days to come and to offer you prayers, Lord, that we may be praying for those that are rising up and standing up with courage to face what they're facing. And Lord, we pray that. We pray that as inspiring as they are to us, Lord, we pray that you would just give them that strength, that courage, that sense of peace, that you are with them. We know that they're not relying in and of their own strength. They are counting on you. They are being a witness to you for the rest of the world. And so, Lord, we, we pray that even this day, as we even speak this very hour, that they may sense a touch of your grace, your power, that you are with them. Give them the strength going forward and the eternal perspective that they can have in knowing that one day that they're going to be with you and they will have a reward in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.